DAB Plus online via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. UFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Hello and welcome to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Coming to you after an incredible weekend of championship football, Wayne Rooney looked certain to pick up his first win as Birmingham City manager before the Tractor Boys had other ideas. Birmingham City 2, Ipswich Town 2, comeback complete for Kieran McKenna's side. It's Harness with his second of the game, 12 yards out, buried it in the bottom corner. Meanwhile, the pressure's mounting on David Wagner as the Canaries' winless run extends to six games. Here's Talk Sports' Dean Ashton. I mean, look, he's going to do well to keep his position because the performance in the first half was shambolic. It's almost about as diabolical a defensive display as I've seen. I sat down with a new man in the hot seat at Loftus Road, Marty Thifuentes. Here's how he plans to keep QPR in the championship. I'd be proud about the history that QPR has and I will try to, to push all my players to have the mentality that we are here to win every, every game. So much to talk about over the next hour. Leeds ending Leicester's winning run in dramatic fashion at the King Power. The weekend of football could not be getting off to a better start. We're at a game that feels like it's Premier League, feels like it will be Premier League next season. Leicester, nine wins in a row in the league. Ten would be a club record. The Leeds pressing and pressing well, having an opportunity inside the penalty area, and it's just wide. What a glorious chance for Jean Peru. Brilliant from Fatou. Receiving the ball, flicking it up over Byram's head, running past him, driving it in, and he's hit the bar. That would have been a goal of the highest order. Really high tariff move that. James back to the edge of the ocean. Oh, Peru, good save. And it will be beaten away by Hermanson. Peru trying to get free. It's heading down, brilliantly saved. But tapped in on the follow-up. Jorginho Ruta. Leeds United lead at Leicester by Golden Hill. He chips it up towards the far post. Header, what a save! That is stunning goalkeeping from Melier. Melier's produced one of the saves of the season to beat it away. Melier just won the game from that terrific save. The Leeds revival continues apace. It's finished Leicester nil, Leeds one. One goal in it, but it was great here on TalkSport 2. We'll dissect events at the King Power. Uh, big news regarding the managerial positions at Millwall and Bristol City as well. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside the former Arsenal Rotherham and Stevenage midfielder Adrian Clark on EFL All Access. Good afternoon, good evening. Um, what a weekend it's been. Just a championship, of course, with the FA Cup at first round taking place. But it gives us more time today to talk about the second tier in English football and some big, big stories. Adrian Clark, as I say, is alongside me. Good evening. Good evening, Hugh. Big and breaking news uh, coming out of Millwall. We'll get to that as soon as we can. But I did want to start uh, with that game that you heard there, uh, Adrian Durham and the team. Uh, watching Leeds win away at Leicester. Leeds United ending that nine-game winning run in the Championship. An impressive victory at the King Power Stadium. The Foxes missing out on a club record 10th successive League One. Jorginho Ruta with the goal. He's looked impressive for a few weeks now without too much reward. Well, he got a goal and one of the easiest goals he'll ever score, but he got the decisive goal and the reaction from the Leeds players towards the Leeds fans was magnificent. They felt like it was such an important result because I think it puts them right back into that title conversation. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, it was a huge, huge goal. Wonderful win. Excellent performance. I don't think they'll win the title, but but it puts them in the conversation for top two, doesn't it? It looks like a four from, you know, two from four, the three that went down plus plus Ipswich Town to be in the mix. And and yeah, this gives Leeds a, an absolutely huge confidence boost here. It was it, it was a perfect performance from them. I, I think they're, they're quite well set up actually to to cause a team like Leicester problems because they they do press well. They, they're organised. And when they spring a turnover, mm. they are quick. They are lightning. I know they didn't score from one, but they are a, a real dangerous team, Leeds United. And 
yeah, I think it was, um, yeah, that they'd have been lifted massively by, I, from Leicester's point of view, no need to panic at all. They could they could easily have 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 won or or drawn that game with the performance that they produced. So yeah, it was it was just good quality football. Is it the result though that the championship possibly needed? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, no one wants no one wants a two horse race where it's all over by Easter, do they? You just don't. Us neutrals want competition. You want it to be to go to the wire, don't you? Of course you do. And I still believe that Leicester will roll over the majority of clubs at championship level, but this now puts a seed of doubt into maybe their minds and it, it maybe gives encouragement to other teams. Because obviously Leeds aren't the only side to have beaten them. It's Hull, Hull um, got, got a narrow win as well. So I think that, yeah, it will, it will help others. And, and the blueprint is there now, set by Leeds United. This is how you beat Leicester City. It's just a case of, are other teams good enough to to mix it with the Foxes in the way that, that Leeds did? I'm, I'm not sure most of them are. What do you make of, of that recipe, if you like, for beating Leicester City? There were some very good performances from a few uh, Leeds players. Ilan Melier in goal, of course. Uh, Ethan Ampadu in midfield too. What could you pick out in terms of, yeah. you know, how, how to beat Leicester City, if you like? Yeah, well, you do need a little bit of luck along the way. No doubt about that, because because they will create stacks of chances. You know that. And what a save that was from Ilya Melier. Oh, um, unbelievable. The way he clawed that out from Dewsbury Hall. I think you're right to bring up the midfield. In this game, Leicester were weakened. And I think it's important to say that. Obviously, they've that most of this season they've that, you know, they've they've got um they've got Winks, Dewsbury Hall and Ndidi. and Ndidi was missing. And I think he he has had a wonderful campaign. Cassidy came in, the former Chelsea mm. youngster or the Chelsea youngster, and he, he didn't he didn't look as good or as influential as as Ndidi. But I don't want to take anything away from Ethan Ampadu and Glenn Kamara, a brand new central midfield partnership. They've only had a handful of games together, but they held it together and they protected what was also a really good back four, really really well. I think Stroik and, and Rodon. Did a great job containing uh, Vardy and then and then Ian Acho. So yeah, they, there's a lot to be proud of, I think, mm, for, mm. for Leeds and and for Daniel Farker. Uh, Leicester need to bounce back, don't they? They've got Middlesbrough next week. Um, I get it, and I get what you're saying, and we've all seen it just how strong they are as a side. But um, you know, I think they had that air of invincibility beginning to build up with that winning run, and look, they're still going to be the probably most difficult opponent for anyone in the league. But if Middlesbrough get a result against them next week, they have a couple of weeks away and people are suddenly thinking, do you know what? They're not as unbeatable. They're not as as a perfect side as we thought they were. So they do need to bounce back immediately to kind of get the veneer, if it is a veneer, back very quickly. Of course they do. And it's a new team, isn't it? It's a lot of, lot of fresh faces, a lot of players that haven't played in the championship before, haven't had setbacks in the championship before. And... I think the true test of a team and of individual players, particularly young players, is how you respond to setbacks. How do you respond to disappointments? The best teams are able to use it as fuel to get better and to learn from it. But sometimes things can get into players' heads and the rest of the division will be hoping that this match will have have put some doubts into into the minds of Leicester City's players. I I think they will be fine. I, I still thought in defeat, that um, Abdul Fatawu, mm. what, a, what a talent he is. I mean, that would have been some goal. I don't know if you can remember it here where he flicks the ball over the defender and and then he runs down the wing, chops in, curls it top corner and it just clips the underside of the bar. I mean, that was phenomenal play from a really, really bright young player. So, yeah, I, I, they're, they're going to be fine. But, yeah. it, but uh, as we saw, they, they're going to lose matches every now and again. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, we shall see if Leicester City do bounce back next weekend. Uh, but a very good victory for Leeds United, and they will want to keep that march going on under uh, Daniel Farker. Okay, we need to talk about the breaking news that happened, what, mm. I don't know, 25 minutes or so before we came on air. Uh, Millwall appointing the former Chelsea and Everton assistant coach Joe Edwards as their new manager. Uh, he was in mm. Frank Lampard's backroom staff at both Premier League clubs that he was at. He's been in interim charge 
of England's under 20 since August. He's only 37 years old, which makes me feel incredibly old. And he, of course, <laughs> oh, you're ancient here. I know, Gary Rowett, who left by mutual consent uh, in mid-October. Millwall, 18th in the table, just two points picked up from four games since his departure. Uh, it has been said that Adam Barrett, the interim, uh, will... Uh, stay on. Andy Myers uh, will be his assistant um, mm. and fellow coach Andy Marshall will stay on as part of the backroom team as well. So, um, okay. yeah, it's a, it's an interesting decision. Um, before we uh, dissect it, Adrian, let's hear from mm. the man himself because I'm sure most of you don't know too much about Joe Edwards. Here is his reaction to being appointed uh, speaking to Millwall TV um, a few moments ago. Well, firstly, it's a, it's a really proud day for me personally, for me and my family. Um, obviously, I've been been coaching for a long time, although I know people will be aware of the the fact that it's my first time as a manager. That in terms of head coaches, managers, I'm on the I'm on the younger side of things. Um, I've been coaching for many years, and it's it's one of them things that throughout the years, when you're doing it and head coach at various levels, you kind of do start thinking at some point one day I'd like to have a, an opportunity to do that. So. It's a proud moment for me to to take that step and get that opportunity. But if I'm honest to do it at a club like this, um, to be ma- manager, head coach of Millwall Football Club, uh, I don't take that lightly at all. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited. And you can hear more of that interview uh, in full with Millwall TV. So check them out online. Mm. You can go to the club's website as well to hear in full from your new manager, Millwall fans. It's an interesting appointment, Adrian, isn't it? Because... Yeah. He fits the mould of the kind of the new manager that we've seen coming in more and more in English football. Someone who has a really good pedigree in youth football, who's been a a backup maybe in terms of the biggest clubs around. Um, But, you know, you think of the likes of Steve Cooper, for example, yesterday, Nottingham Forest beating Aston Villa. And you think about what he's done for that football club. Of course, he was a World Cup winner with England's under-17s. And you wonder, could we get a mark two here at the Den? You never know. You mm. never know, do you? It's, it's, look, I, I had the pleasure of speaking at length, actually, with Joe Edwards last season. I sat down with an interview with him um, about his career. And he, he's a very articulate guy. Um, he's had real success with Chelsea. He's, he's He's been through every level at Chelsea, from the under nines right through to the to the first team. Real, real success in particular with the with the academy and he's you know I know that he's a very very accomplished coach a coach that has been highly rated at Chelsea and beyond for many many years he has he made the leap when Frank Lampard um, moved away and went, and went to Everton and that was a big big risk for him and obviously it didn't it didn't ultimately last that long he followed him to Everton he actually followed him back to Chelsea uh, as part of his team, uh, but now he obviously feels that it's the right time to to go on his own. I, he's old enough; he's thirty seven. He's got loads of loads of coaching miles, you know, in the bank. My only issue with this, because he because he is a good coach that I'm sure can improve players and develop them and 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 maybe get more out of them. My only issue is the Chelsea connection, Millwall oh, yeah. and Chelsea are. <laughs> Bitter rivals uh, in London circles and the supporters at Millwall. I'm sure they will give him a good chance at the, at the outset. But if things, you know, aren't going how they want them to go, then he might be judged a little harsher mm-hmm. than someone with with no connection to Chelsea. So that's the only, yeah. the only sort of asterisk I'll put there, Hugh. Mm. And in case you're you're wondering, you know, those of you out there that think, well, he's just been Chelsea's assistant. He actually spent 27 years yes. of his 37 years on this planet with Chelsea in some capacity as a young player, as a young player, as a coach. exactly. Yeah. So it is a big connection he's got with the club. Huge. He's a Chelsea man, but this is his chance to to stamp his own mark on a great club at Millwall, a club that that have a good squad, in my opinion. It's it's a solid group of players. They need to score more goals. So he needs to to extract a little bit more from them going forward. I think having worked with, with young players th- throughout his career, he'll have an instant rapport with them and that he he'll he'll be able to bring bring them on nice and quickly. It's it's just a fine balance at Millwall. Millwall supporters demand grit and resilience mm, mm. and real industry but the board also want a little bit more flair and more action and more goals and more 
yeah, yeah, more productivity going forward, not just to be a set piece solid team. So there's a challenge that lies ahead. But if he gets it right, it's a good place to be. Really for, is for me. That's the big challenge um, because you, you listen to James Berylson, the Millwall chairman. Talking about the appointment, he says, I think that Joe is someone who's very innovative and has positive ideas about the progression we can make as a club. He also says, by the way, it was a thorough process. We left no stone uh, unturned. Joe was engaging, attentive and impressive throughout. But, you know, these modern coaches, young modern coaches want that innovation. And the style of football, we've seen it work at so many other clubs. And you think, will it match? Will it be a match made in heaven? If he if he rips up the playbook, if you like the script of what we expect from a Millwall team, if it's mm. if it's if it doesn't come with results, you wonder what the fans will feel. So he, um, huge. He won't do that. He won't do no. it. I'm confident he won't because because uh, look look what's happened at uh, Luton. They, they kept the mm. they kept the DNA, didn't they? Yeah. You know, Rob Edwards is a bright coach, got progressive ideas, but he knew what the core strength and the core fabric of that team, what it has to be. And and it's got them to the Premier League. I think he will retain it, but but he will try and implement a little bit more rotational movements and more flair, some a little bit more possession, I would imagine as well. But he's got some good strikers to work with. Zian Fleming and mm. Tom Bradshaw are decent. You've got you've got you've got some good players there. I was at the Den on Saturday to see their late late defeat against Southampton, who I have to say were good value for their victory. Since Southampton's horrendous streak of four losses with an aggregate score of twelve two, it's now mm. five out of seven and a seven match unbeaten run for Russell Martin's side. Real spirit um, shown a, a relationship forging between this group of players and those fans after Ryan Fraser's winner late on as well. And it was actually, it felt quite special to witness it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's well, it's always nice. It always feels good when you get a last-minute winner, yeah. doesn't it? And everyone's in a great mood and, and whatnot. But no, full credit to Russell Martin because I've been quite critical of him earlier on in the season. And, you know, he was making mistakes. The team were, were, were making the same errors. But they've, t- to their credit... They've worked on it. They've cut those areas out. And what I think the key difference is, he's found a team. And this is what every new manager mm. needs a little bit of time to do. He's found an 11. You look at that back four, it very rarely changes now, in particular with Bednarek and Harwood Bellis and Walker-Peters. They're always in there. The midfield, it's it's the same every week now. Smallbone, Downs, Armstrong. Sulemana's playing every week. Alcaraz is back in the team. It's like and and then it's sort of you know sometimes it's Alcaraz, sometimes it's Shea Adams, Adam Armstrong always in there. But you kind of know now nine or ten of the names that are going to be on that team sheet, and I think that's quite healthy. And mm. yeah, they're in they're in a good spot at the moment, Southampton. Absolute domination, I have to say. They well deserve their three points. And uh, yeah, very impressed by what I saw from Russell Martin's side at the weekend. Good news for those Millwall fans who were kind of questioning what the future would be. You now know Joe Edwards is your man moving forward. And up next, we're going to be talking about a possible change at Norwich City. Huge pressure on David Wagner. You're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18+. plus. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2 with myself, Hugh Wilson-Croft, and the former Arsenal midfielder, Adrian Clark. It was a party atmosphere in terms of Blackburn's fans away at the weekend because they heaped more pressure on the beleaguered Norwich City boss, David Wagner. A comfortable 3-1 win at Carrow Road. Now, Wagner succeeded Dean Smith as the Norwich boss. Uh, back in January, the Canaries were fifth at the time. Uh, there were three points off the top spot in September but they have now dropped to 17th place in the championship and earned just one point from their last six games. It's made it their worst start to a season in the second tier since they were relegated to League One back in 2008. Big, big pain on the horizon, I think, for David Wagner. We'll talk about him in a second, but the Norwich um, fans, I think, were very vocal at the end of the game after a fourth defeat in a row. Not best pleased. We've had the six minutes... Referee blows his whistle to a crescendo of booze inside Carra Road. Well, manager David Wagner spoke to TalkSport Mike Sewell after the game, insisting he's still the right man to take the Canaries forward. Yeah, as long as I have the chance, uh, for sure. Um, I will take the fight, but uh, the truth is as well. Uh, the form which we are in is not good enough. Uh, we can't be anything 
but happy. Um, this is the truth, uh, and uh, obviously I'm the manager, and I, I take responsibility for it. Are you worried about what this result might mean? What what the board will have to say to you after another defeat? No, at the end of the day, I like always. I can only uh, work as hard as I as I can with my backroom stuff. Uh, try to solve the issue. Try to find the solutions. Um, anything is anything else is not in my hands. Adrian Clark, are you surprised that we're sitting here talking about David Wagner still in the dugout at Norwich City? I am a bit. Yeah, I th- I thought. That reaction from the from the Carrow Road fan base was so overwhelming, so clear in its majority that that I felt the board might might act. You know, the, the boos that you heard at the final whistle were one thing, but you were hearing major boos after each goal that was conceded. It was it was pretty brutal, and I was there not well, was it about almost a year ago when they played Blackburn again actually, and and they were beaten that that afternoon and. And it was Dean Smith that that basically got booed out of the place, and and he 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 did lose his job very shortly after. So, yeah, he's on he's on thin ice for sure, David Wagner. There was a big bit in the program, um, from the board from the CEO, saying that they're going to stick with him and and stay together. But yeah, results and 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 fan reaction, you know, can can make things change very very quickly. Two goals down after fifteen minutes at home. How bad were Norwich City in that first half? You heard Dean Ashton uh, on Talk Sport to the former Norwich forward, of course, saying, you know, it was it was really pathetic in many ways. Diabolical, yeah. I think, is the word he used. <laughs> There's a lot of adjectives, you know. It's hard to get, to, you know, Dean doesn't get riled up that easy. No, he doesn't. So it, must have been, it must have been pretty bad. It was too easy, wasn't it, to slice through Norwich City. That's kind of been the story of their campaign so far. They've, they've scored goals. They've not had that much of an issue in that department. A lot of the players going forward have have had bright starts to the campaign. But are there enough defensive players in the starting eleven? Not for me. Uh, I think that the the back four is weak and fragile. <laughs> the goals against Tally tells you that. There's nothing wrong with the players sat in front of them. I think Kenny McLean is very good and. Um, Gabriel Sara, Marcelino Nunez, they're, they're all quality footballers. But I don't see a proper defensive midfielder in there. I don't see anyone that's going to really protect that that defence on a on a consistent basis. They've got, to, in my opinion, they need at least one more defensive player in that team, and that would help the likes of Sara, who's who's fantastic going forward. At the moment, he's just a little bit too far back. Do they possibly get away with the number of injuries they have mm. at this point in time? You're missing your forwards, Josh Sargent, yeah. Ashley Barnes, who were maybe developing a half-decent partnership up front. Angus Gunn's out at the moment. Ben Gibson missed the match at the weekend. You know, there are more to add to that list as well. Does he? Does maybe David Wagner's position and results seem a little bit false, given what he's working with right now? Yeah, well, Josh Sargent and, and Ashley Barnes wouldn't have helped Norwich defend better in this game, would they? Um, maybe Ben Gibson would have done. Obviously, they had one of the youngsters in in the centre half at the weekend, which I guess wasn't ideal. But yeah, it is a get out of jail to to a point because they are two excellent players at Championship level that that will score bundles of goals and and lay a platform. And when you're scoring goals, it gives the rest of the team a bit more confidence, doesn't it? I, I think they also press fantastically from the front, those two. They're really, really industrious front men. They're the first line of defence. Mm. And and when they don't play and you've got, you know, Ouija as it was at the weekend or or Adam Ida and Nunez and Hernandez, I don't, I don't think you get as much pressing and you don't get as much quality defending from the front, which then has a knock-on effect because it then exposes the midfield, uh, which then in turn exposes the back four. So, yes, I do think it's a, a big factor. But is that going to be enough to save him if results continue like this? I I doubt it, unfortunately. We shall see. Sammy Smodic, by the way, at top oh. of the championship golden boot race, up to nine goals now. Fantastic, Fantastic. performance from him. Yeah. I mean, I remember him at Colchester years ago. Mm. He always used to, he was a box-to-box midfielder that popped up semi-regular to score goals. He got his big move to Bristol City. And I thought, really can't wait to see him kick on. And he didn't. 
it, it just never settled there. And he never, he got a few injuries. He never really made a position his own. And, and I thought, is it, you know, it'd be a real shame to have to go back to Colchester, for example, but he, he got the move to Blackburn by hook or by crook and he's found a home, hasn't he? He is now virtually playing as a striker. He's sort of like mm. a, a number 10 at the minute. He, what what he's great at is is run, making runs into the box. He knows how to time them. He, he arrives late, and and he, he's always been a good good finisher, Smodic. So yeah, well done to to Blackburn and and the manager Yondal Thomason for mm. for getting him into the right position and getting the most out of a clearly a, a talented boy. Four wins in five for JDT. Blackburn Decent. looking very positive right now. What kind of mentality do you think he's forging there? <laughs> I think he's forging a really refreshing mentality. Actually, I, I like watching them. They they kind of do things a little bit differently. They'll, they'll come up with some unusual formations. They'll play players in different positions. You know, look at it the, on Sunday: Dolan and Smodics up front. No mm. one would have a couple of years ago thought, "Well, Dolan's a little winger. Smodics is a midfielder. What's that all about?" But they find a way to make it work. They've got some good young players in the team. Wharton, obviously, uh, one of the Whartons uh, got sent off, of course, at the weekend. But but no, they, they, they play some nice football, some really good passing moves, actually, Blackburn Rovers. They're just, because they're such a young team, I think that they're going to be a bit up and down, a bit volatile results-wise. They're going to make mistakes, but there's a lot of talent there. And I, I think the manager is doing a more than decent job. Okay, we're going to talk about the job that Wayne Rooney is doing at Birmingham City as he picked up his first point in charge uh, at St Andrews this weekend. But you're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2 with myself, Hugh Wilson-Croft, alongside Adrian Clark this afternoon. Let's talk about Wayne Rooney next, shall we? Because his Birmingham City side had been booed by the fans after three straight losses in his first three games, of course, and he was thankful to leave St. Andrews to a much warmer reception uh, on Saturday, as he told TalkSport's Adam Bridge. The fans were excellent. I said after Southampton, thought the fans were great. My team has to work, has to run, has to tackle. I know the values of that um, from a fan's point of view as well. Um, and I thought we showed that today and fans can accept, you know, if you you don't win a game or you you don't take three points, fans can accept that if they see the players working. So picking a point up, not ideal from the position we were in, but it, it's a start. And um, But I think there was so many positives in there which we can take into Sunderland next week. He needed that. He needed not only to pick up a point, it's important, three would have been better, but to avoid defeat is, listen, that was essential for Wayne Rooney. It couldn't have become four in a row. The fans, uh, I think they would have let him know about it for sure. Um, but it was stolen from him. You know, it could have been his first win. 2-0 up and Ipswich Town came back late on. They were 2-0 down with 11 minutes left and substitute Marcus Harness got a great double that meant mm. Ipswich kept up their great start to the season. Listen, it's, it's an important point from 2-0 down but it really could have been more for Rooney and Birmingham City yeah it could have it was just a good game I mm. think that, that both managers come out with credit actually it's a big step forward for Wayne Rooney this is the kind of football that the owners want to see that the supporters want to see and I think they'll forgive the fact that they they gave up two points by sort of tiring at the end because it just put so much into it in in, in the first hour or so it was much better energy about them. The players looked like they were enjoying what he was asking them to do. He changed quite a lot, actually. He, he sort of, it was like a 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. He brought in a lot of sort of flair players. Koji Miyoshi, Bakuna came in, uh, Stansford and Burke up front. A lot of pace and uh, youthful exuberance in Stansford's case, you know, working up, up at the top end of the pitch and, it, it, yeah, it worked. It unsettled mm-hmm. an Ipswich team where, where if you look at them and they've been great this season, but if you, you're looking for weaknesses, it is probably the back four, might be the centre-halves and they really gave them hell and deserved their 2-0 lead. The football was good, but, but Ipswich are at the top for a reason. They've got decent depth now. The manager's smart and he, he, he found a way to, to get that team back into the game and, mm. and and it turned really on a on a quadruple substitution 
Who are from, you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just the four. Um, who was it that came on? Ladapo, Scarlet, Taylor, and Harness came on on seventy-two minutes, and bang, it all started to happen. Yeah, pretty much straight away. And and obviously, Harness gets the credit. What a volley! Yeah, what a yeah, volley that yeah. was. Yeah. Great technique. Yeah, but Dane Scarlett, I think, deserves a little bit of a mention here because he's a one. He, you know, he's one of these that's been labelled a wonder kid for many, many years. Yeah. Hasn't broken through at Spurs. He was on loan at Pompey last year and I watched him and he was struggling, really struggling. I thought, what's the fuss about with this boy? But he was just, his confidence was low and he's still finding his way back. But he came off the bench and contributed to both goals. The first goal, he he did a brilliant piece of skill inside the box to, to, to create space. And yeah, I hope for his sake that this is the sort of springboard for for better times for Dane Scarlett because yeah, the youth coaches were raving about this boy years ago. Yeah, it's not going to be the case that Ipswich win every week, but they did show us something else, which is that resilience and the goal-scoring potential. They went away from home, they scored twice. You know, if, if it was maybe a different defensive performance, they would have taken all three points. But that goal-scoring potential, they show us each and every week, it means they're always going to have an opportunity yeah. in matches uh, so far this season. So a point gained, I think, in the end. Although after they saw that Leicester result uh, on Friday night, they would have been hoping, I'm sure, for all three. Anyway, I wanted to move on. Two teams that I really wanted to discuss uh, this week, I've got to say, Adrian. Preston and Coventry. Bit yes. of a thriller. Uh, Preston back in the playoff places. They came from from behind to beat Coventry 3-2 at Deepdale. That ends a winless run of seven games. Um, uh, the, the the Sky Blues, by the way, at Coventry, 22 league games <laughs> since they've won away at Deepdale, which is absolutely ridiculous. It was also a fourth consecutive defeat for Mark Robbins' side. They remain 20th. They're five points clear of the relegation zone, but they're 10 points adrift of the playoffs. So what do we make of this one? Was it the perfect uh, advertisement for championship football? It was, well, it was a good, good, yeah, exciting game, definitely. I think that, yeah, Coventry were never going to win this game with that record. 19-10, the last time they won at Deepdale. And and, and actually, home and away, that they're a proper bogey team. 19 league meetings without a win, Coventry against Preston. So they didn't have a prayer, mm. did they? Um Mark Robbins talked afterwards about the players being low on confidence. Like I can see that mm. in in their play, they yeah they're just not quite right. It starts with the keeper who made you know made a bad mistake yeah, didn't he against yeah, West yeah. Bromwich Albion, and I think I think that has a knock on effect to to a few around the team. He almost Mark, made a huge error early on in this one with a shot yeah. from distance that just spilled yeah. wide, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Would have been a big gap. He was so good last year yeah. as well, but 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 confidence is a big thing. But but what what I admired about Mark Robbins in defeat was that he he had the courage to change things. He, he likes a back three, we know that, but he changed. He went four three three second half, chucked on Ellis Sims down the right. They had um, Hadji Wright on there to to score a couple of tap ins uh, and Matty mm. Godden. So he had all of his three big hitters up top, and they did they did look a bit better after what was a really poor. Poor first half, even though they'd taken the lead. So, um, but this was this was Preston's day. Much much better performance from them. I love the goal from Osmajic. Beautiful cross from yeah. from Liam Miller, and yeah, just a textbook header. And 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 from a tactical point of view, they they pushed uh, Alan Brown a bit deeper, and he 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 was a star man alongside Ben Whiteman in the middle of that midfield. So yeah, Preston need they both needed a win. Yeah. It's Preston that got it, and and you'd imagine now they might they might start to to pick up a few more wins because there, there haven't been that many lately. There was a key moment in this game, though. Um, Anthony Taylor demoted from the Premier League after mistakes in the top flight of English football. The penalty that Alan Brown scored was given against Carl McFadden for a foul on Militant Osmajic, um, mm. which looked like he tried to push him from behind, I have to say, but fans. Yeah. And there was certainly an attempt there to, to put him off his shot, which he, it went high, wide and handsome. Taylor gives the penalty, but he gives a yellow card to Carl McFadden. Now, am I losing my mind? It wasn't a genuine attempt to get the ball because it was clearly a push from behind and it was certainly a goal-scoring opportunity. So mm. have, I, have I lost my mind? Has Anthony Taylor thrown in another gaff? In the championship, <laughs> is he going to be in League One next week? <laughs> I, well, he'll be hoping not. I I thought the double the double jeopardy thing came in. I, I thought if if it had been a 
outside the box, I think he goes. It has to be a genuine attempt for the ball to be a yellow yeah, card. That's it. That's so that's the correct. point. With the push We're, from behind, for me, that's not a genuine attempt to to make a challenge yeah, for the took ball. Sympathy. Yeah, he took sympathy on my yeah. fancy. Do you know what? I, I always feel that it's pretty harsh to get the double, the double whammy. Mm, mm. Um, so I wouldn't morally <laughs> I, I say I say we've come to the right conclusion, but but I can see why why there might have been complaints. On that, by the way, what do we think about that, Hugh? About Premier League refs being punished by having to come into the championship. What's the championship done to deserve? <laughs> <laughs> More gaps of... from these Premier these awful Premier League refs. Keep them out of the EFL. Yeah. They're just not good enough. If anything, <laughs> we should swap them over for a weekend. Um, and I think maybe Premier League fans will be a little bit happier with wow. what they get. Yeah, um, listen, we're, we're lucky, aren't we, not to have VAR because a ball hits the back of the net. Like I said, for example, that... that moment at Southampton, excuse me, at the Den, but for Southampton mm. on Saturday, that 93rd minute winner, you can just feel the jubilation, the joy, the moment it hits the back mm. of the net. And that is what this sport was meant to be all about. Anyway, we're, we're going down another track, which I'm sure <laughs> you'll hear plenty of from Simon Jordan and Jim White in their podcast uh, a little bit earlier on on TalkSport, dissecting the VAR from this weekend. But let's get back on track with the EFL because I wanted to talk about very quickly one of the game that had six goals in it, one more than the game at Preston. Plymouth Argyle showing their fighting spirit against Borough. Borough played some fantastic football on mm. their day, looked one of the best in the league, but it ends up being a three-all draw. And on occasion, Plymouth throw in a lot of goals as well, and, and that's the entertainment that they provide. Yep, two, two, two good attacking teams. Not, not so good at the back at the moment. Obviously, Plymouth gifted... Borough a goal, playing out from the back. We saw it with Hull. We saw it with Plymouth this weekend. It's not just in the Premier League. Play, you know, teams trying to be too intricate. So that was that was interesting. And um, but no, it was a, it was a great game. I mean, the goal from Finazaz was a thing of beauty. He has stepped up this season for Plymouth Argyle big time. Um, yeah, beautiful curler into the top corner. Morgan Whitaker's equaliser right at the end, Hugh. Mm. I've made I've taken that free kick hundreds of times. You know the in swinging left footer, <laughs> yeah. and you're always shooting. And obviously, normally someone gets a flick on it or it gets defended. But if everybody misses it and you aim for that far post, it will go in. Yeah. It's such a hard one for keepers to defend. And and uh, yeah, Whitaker didn't mean it, I don't think, but but he kind of half did because that's just, that's just the the nature of that kick. So yeah, they're, they're two good players, Whitaker and Azaz. For Middlesbrough, Coburn getting a couple of goals will we'll do him the power of the good. He, he he's a really big, strong, hold up target man. He needs goals to stay in the team, and he got them in this game. So yeah, I'm really really pleased for him. Borough down to 11th, one point from their last two. So uh, Michael Carrot will want to see a response, as we mentioned, Leicester next for them. Uh, so we shall see if they do that. We're going to hear, by the way, and I should have told you about this earlier, from the new Queen's Park Rangers boss. I got to speak to him exclusively a little bit earlier on, and we're going to hear from Marty Sefuentes after this on EFL All Access. So stay tuned. We'll also discuss the managerial position at Bristol City, but you're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport, made to challenge, made to the made to play it's 18 plus begambleaware.org Not long to go on EFL All Access with myself, Hugh Wizencroft, alongside Adrian Clark. Remember, the women's football show is coming up from 7pm. If you want the build-up uh, to Spurs against Chelsea in the Premier League, that's over on TalkSport right now. But up next, an exclusive interview from one of the brand new managers in the Championship because it has been a turbulent 12 months or so for Queen's Park Rangers, getting off to a flyer last season, but slowly drifting down the table. They avoided relegation by the skin of their teeth, and this season's been no better, really. Uh, after their sixth loss in a row made it the difficult decision to sack Gareth Ainsworth as their manager. In came Marty Fuentes, a Spaniard managing Hammerby in the Swedish league. His first match at Rotherham at the weekend saw Ilias Chair's opener cancelled out by Georgie Kelly's goal, with both sides remaining in the bottom three. I was delighted to speak to Marty Fuentes earlier today, and he said his arrival represents a new beginning at Loftus Road. How would you describe yourself? I think for a lot of EFL fans, for a lot of the Queen's Park Rangers fans, when we saw the announcement that you were becoming head coach, you know, we were on Google. We were trying to find out about you, about your career. We now get to hear from the man himself. So so as a man, as a, a coach, how would you describe yourself? Or maybe more interestingly, I guess, how would those that you've worked with and those that know you best describe you? 
Well, this is always a difficult question to answer, right? Um, what I know for sure is that I try to be a very honest person, both in my personal life and, uh, and, in, the, and in the pitch. Um, I try to build good relations with the people that I work with in terms of learning, in terms of trying to share good experiences together. And yeah, as well, how my my demands, of course, I'm a, as, a, as a head coach, you are used to, to set some demands. But at the same time, I think that I'm quite flexible as a person, trying to understand where I'm working, uh, trying to understand the culture of the place, of the country that I work and then as well, uh, yeah, have my sense of humor. I like to have fun on what I'm doing. I feel very lucky to to do what I love. That is to 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 be involved in football, to coach a team, is one of of uh, one of the most challenging things I think uh, someone can do. You need to be good on tactics. You need to be good on media. You need to be good on on the page, on game plans. So I really enjoy that. And then yeah, I like to spend time with my friends. I like to spend time with the family. So I guess that's quite quite normal person in that sense. Well, Marty, it's good to know about who you are as a person and as a coach as well. I think every coach will want to find a synergy. Every club will want to find that relationship between the manager, the players, the fans, the board. You want to be together as one. How, how do you forge that? What's your plan to, to create that at Queen's Park Rangers? I think it's a lot about learning about, about the culture of the club in that case, about the history, about what the fans want, about what is the vision that we have as a club for the future. And as well, mix that with my identity as well as a coach. And in that sense, I think that from the very beginning, when we start our talks, we had a quite a good connection. A good, I think uh, we can find in a good place all together, because uh, I really appreciate the tradition, the history that QPR has. I think it has been always a club trying to play this attacking football with technical players that fits very well into my game idea. And then as well, when we spoke about the vision, where we want to be in the next years, how we want to develop. Uh, it fits very well on, on who I am as a coach. It's true that I have uh, already some experience. I've been doing this for 20 years now, uh, coaching in four different countries. Now this is my fifth. But at the same time, I'm still a quite young coach. So I want to develop. I want to improve. And I think that I have this energy, this drive to help the club to, to achieve uh, what we want to achieve together. You mentioned the, the vision, if you like. It's a good phrase to catch all in into one, if you like. And, and your talents as a coach matching with this group of players? How, how have you found working with the group in these early days? And, and do they match with what you want to do out there on the football pitch in terms of their individual talents? It has been top. From the day one, I, I need to say, and, I, and I've been saying last week already, that the welcome that the guys gave us was, was really, really good. Um, it's always a little bit like this, right? When a new manager comes in, all the players are starting a little bit from, from zero. So it's a fresh start for everybody. But at the same time, the, the the intensity, the energy that they put into the trainings, uh, the level of commitment that they show me in the last game, that is not an easy game to start uh, as a manager, as a new group. I think that, that it's, it's working really, really well so far. Um, what we're going to be in some months, no one knows. But what I'm sure is that those guys will try to do their best to to show that that we don't want to be in the position we are right now. And yeah, I feel that there is potential in the squad. I've been saying that a lot of times. I think that we have quality players, technical players that can fit very well my way of playing. And now it's about me trying to puzzle this and to make sure that we are uh, the best version uh, that, that we can be. Confidence is going to be key, isn't it, in terms of getting those results. How is the mood amongst the players? Because 23rd in the table, no wins in the last 10 games. It's a very difficult position to come into the football club right now. You'll need to do something to lift the confidence. Where will that come from? Yeah, but the thing is that I never seen a change of manager when when a team is winning ten games in a row, isn't it? So that's that's how it works in football. Um, I told the guys from the beginning. For me, we start a new season, and in the new season, we already got one point. This is not what we wanted because we wanted three points. But what I'm looking for is to see what we can do in the next thirty-two games. That's where I want to see how we climb in the table and 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 where we are at the end of the season. Uh, it's not my job to look back and and and, and to just look at the. Uh, very pessimistic uh, stats or whatever it is. I just want to see from the very first game what identity do we have on the pitch, how competitive we are to get the results that we want. And in that sense, when I when I have a, 
the view of the of the performance that we got in the last game for me is a positive one. Still not good enough because I want to win all the games, but um, a positive one. Uh, we create more goal chances than the opponent. We concede very few. Um, the few that we concede was mostly on set piece, something that we need to improve on. But um, my general view is that we have. I saw a team that really wanted to get the three points, and that was really good in some areas of the game. From there, my only target is to look forward, not backwards. I was I was impressed, taken aback by your reaction to that first result because so many coaches would have said, you know, the team hasn't been playing great of late. It's, it's if you'd like to stop the rot, to not lose a football match was the main goal. But yet your message was around a winning culture, a very strong message after that match. You know, I'm not happy with just one point. We go out there to win football matches. You know, where does that come from in terms of your psyche? Because that clearly must be an important, important point as who you are as a football coach. Yeah, it might be. Uh, probably because I started to coach very early. Uh, I was always, yeah, too inexperienced, too young, too whatever. So uh, I think that I have this resilience on me about showing all the time I'm uh, whether football is about what you can achieve today, not what you achieved yesterday, not what's going to happen tomorrow. So in that sense, I, I think that I, I have this this mentality about I'm here to win. I really want to push my teams to, to be the very best version of, of what we can be. And, and then again, when I look back at the history of QPR, I don't think that anyone will be happy about, about being uh, low in the table and just being happy about the draw. I don't think that that fits the history and, 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 and the identity of this club. So what I'm here is just to make sure that we, we are back to, to the a little bit to the philosophy, I think, that, that we should have as a club, be proud about the history that QPR has. And I will try to, to push all my players to have the mentality that we are here to win every, every game. Finally, I wanted to ask you about goals while you're at the football club and aspirations. Obviously, there are very short-term and immediate ones given the position in the table. But what, what has the club spoken to you about in terms of what they would like you to achieve while you're, you're at Queen's Park Rangers? I think that, as I said, the vision is to make sure that we can, we can turn this club into a club with a clear playing identity that at the end of the days will give us the results in the pitch that we are looking for. Um, we know that, uh, again, if we look back at the situation on the table, obviously it's not an easy one, but uh, this is not where my focus is. My focus is to be very good in the next 32 games. And if we do so, I'm sure that, that we'll not have no problems, hopefully, to avoid relegation. And this is where my focus is, to try to get a very good performance every weekend. I think that it's very early, especially in a, in a league like Championship with 46 games. It's too early now to to try to make some uh, mathematics or just to try to predict what's going to happen in, well, we're going to be in four, in three, in five months. For me, it doesn't make sense to do it now. My focus is, is to get the best of all the players, to try to get good results starting this weekend. We play at home, so I think that we need, we need to create an atmosphere at home where QPR will be a very, very strong team, a very difficult one to beat when we play at home. And yeah, that's where my focus is. And then, of course, we are very aligned with the club in the way we want to play, in the kind of footballers that we want to to develop and we want to bring and how we want to work with the academy. So I think that all this has been from the day one, um, as I said, a good, a good mix in between my ideas and the club ideas. A great weekend ahead, I can assure you, because the fans will give you a great reception inside Loftus Road, a great football ground in, in English football as well, uh, in the heart of the capital. Um, Bristol City have no manager at this point in time. So in terms of planning for that match, although it's going to be a great afternoon for you personally, I'm sure, how do you go about this week? Yeah, obviously we have a very good good analysis department that is helping me a lot, trying to understand what are the possibilities, what if they appoint a new manager in the next few hours, next few days, and what kind of expression we will find. But at the end of the days, I think that always when we prepare a game, it's 80% about our identity. And then we need to look at the opponent because obviously it's not the same to play against a very low block, against five at the back, or to play against a team that is very aggressive on the high pressure. So at the end, football is a bit about the spaces, a little bit about an opposition as well that counts. But at this very moment, I think that it's very important to focus in what are the things that we want to do. Um, starting from the last game, I think that we can be better at several phases of our game on how we can build up against high pressure, on how we can create even more goal chances, on how we can regain the ball even higher. And this this will not change actually during the week. What of course we need to consider is let's see what what expression, what identity Bristol City will have in this game. 
And then uh, yeah, it's up to the players as well to show the qualities to, to beat them. Adrian Clark, listening to that, what do you make of Marty Fuentes? This appointment that we saw coming from nowhere, but he seems, at least on the surface, to have an idea, a vision in terms of what he wants to achieve. Yeah, he's saying all the right things. He speaks speaks fantastically well. Obviously, a good communicator. I like the positivity. I like the the messaging uh, of of creating that winning mentality. Um, yeah, he's not going to settle for for second best, is he? It's. I mean, he's come from nowhere. I mean, this is a guy. I know he's he's, he's been relatively successful in Scandinavia with AAB and Hammerby, but you know, his CV. You know, it's surprising that that he's he's been given this job. Mm. But that first performance, he undoubtedly got a positive reaction from the team. I know they're playing Rotherham. Rotherham can be really awkward opponents. And they were so bright. There was a spring in their step. They created some great chances. And I think, crucially, Ilias Chair Mm. looked happy for the first time in a while. He was buzzing and scored a great goal. And and was at the heart of everything that they did, and obviously Chris Willett was in that team as well, uh, on the other side of of Lyndon Dykes. So good first selection, excellent performance. Not the result we wanted, but if they play like that all the time, they'll get out of the mire. I'm confident. I was very surprised uh, to see how happy Ilias Chair seemed uh, yeah. in that game, but delighted that he scored a wonderful goal. So fingers crossed he can push on. Before we end, Adrian, just a very quick touch on the managerial situation at Bristol City, because it's reported they're closing in on the appointment of Oxford United's Liam Manning as their new head coach, 38-year-old, the clear front runner to take over as Nigel Pearson's replacement at Ashton Gate. We know that Oxford United are flying second in league at one at the moment, eyeing promotion as well. So it would be a huge blow for them. What do you make of this choice of manager and what do you make of Liam Manning's choice if he is to leave Oxford United? Yeah, well, I I didn't think Nigel Pearson deserved to lose his job. I want to say that first of all. I think he was harshly dealt with. But if they want a different type of manager, more of a coach, someone that will develop and improve younger players, and they've got a lot of them at Bristol City, then Liam Manning is one of the best around. He showed it. He showed it at MK Dons. Obviously, ultimately, it went wrong, as it often does for managers. But he showed enough there to to say that he was a good coach, and he's doing a fine job at Oxford. I wouldn't blame him for making the move. Bristol City is a a much bigger club than than Oxford with, with greater potential. So I wouldn't begrudge him that move at all. Oxford would be devastated to lose him, but they've got funds now. Mm. And I think it's an attractive job for out-of-work managers. And there's quite a lot of them at the moment yeah, that, yeah. that I think would would be very interested in speaking with Oxford. So, so they'll be fine. You're not getting relegated if you go to Oxford as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a decent one in terms of uh, your next job for any manager. Okay, Adrian Clark, been a pleasure to be with you once again on EFL All Access. Remember, we've got loads of live football coming for you across the TalkSport network. Spurs versus Chelsea in the Premier League. All the build-up from right now over on TalkSport. So just hit live games on your TalkSport app. We'll have Champions League football tomorrow night on TalkSport 2. 5.45 kickoff between Borussia Dortmund and Newcastle on TalkSport at 8 o'clock. It's Atletico Madrid against Celtic. We will have exclusively in the EFL here, TalkSport 2 tomorrow, Rotherham's rearranged game against Ipswich. And towards the end of the week in the EFL Championship as well, Blackburn against Preston on Friday night. That is an 8pm kickoff. A reminder, you can listen to us every Monday from 6pm here on TalkSport 2. 